pens or a pencil because we're going to dive into God's Word. I told you our service is going to be a little different. Communion is going to be woven into a latter part of the service. So right now we're going to start diving into God's Word. And I'm just going to give you a quick heads up here. I'm not going to preach the whole sermon, at least not all at once. And so uh, open your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Now, I I came across this uh, fun little story this last week. Uh, There was a certain antique collector who was walking through a strip mall parking lot one day, just kind of glancing at the storefronts. And he glanced over at a certain store, and in front of that store's front door, he saw an old scrawny cat. Could see the rib cage showing on the side of that cat, and that cat was lapping some water out of a little saucer outside that storefront door. And and he kind of noticed something from a distance, and so he walks a little closer. And as he walks a little closer to that cat, he glances down at that saucer. And being an antique expert, he could tell that this saucer was really old, and his best guess was it was worth at least $1,000. He could tell it was an antique. He could tell it was very rare. And so he decides he's going to get himself a good deal on on this saucer. And so he goes into the store, and he says to himself, play it cool. Play it cool. He goes up to the owner of the store and says, yeah, I, I noticed the cat out front. It's kind of scrawny, but I really need a cat. Can, can I pay you 10 bucks for it? The guy says, the cat's not for sale. The antique collector says, well, I, I just got to have that cat. I've got all these mice running around my house, and I need a good mouser. He looks scrawny and looks like he's really hungry. Tell you what, I'll give you 50 bucks for that cat. The store owner says, sold. So gives him the scrawny cat. He's holding the cat. He's walking out the store door. And then he thinks it's the perfect opportunity. He turns around and says, oh, by the way, uh, since I paid 50 bucks for this scrawny cat, can you throw in that saucer outside the door? The cat's already used to licking water out of it. Uh, tell you what, can I get the saucer from you for free since I paid you 50 bucks for the cat? You probably don't need it, right? And the store owner says, I'm sorry, the saucer's not for sale. It's not for sale. Why not? He says, because it's my lucky saucer. Your lucky saucer? Yeah, it's my lucky saucer. I've been able to sell 17 stray cats this week by having that saucer out in front of my door. And I got thinking about this this last week, and then I got this this Facebook little photo that popped up. You know, in recent weeks, there's been a lot of uh, conservative photos pop up about the state of abortion in our nation these days. And this this pop-up, and I'm trying to remember the numbers correctly, said if you destroy a baby sea turtle egg, you can be put in jail for 60 days and you can be fined up to $25,000. If you destroy a bald eagle egg, you can be put in jail for two years and be fined up to $250,000. Turtle eggs and bald eagle eggs. You destroy a baby human, and not only are you not fined or punished at all, there'll be a celebration in New York City. And so I got to thinking, this certain shop owner and this certain antique collector, they valued a saucer more than a suffering animal. And in our nation today, so often we value a suffering animal more than a suffering baby. Priorities can be kind of screwed up in our nation, in our world today, can't they? 
And I think that's a wonderful segue to our message today as we're in Luke chapter 8 as we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the gospel according to Luke. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26, we're going to come across an entire town that valued pigs more than they valued a suffering human being. And we look at that and we shake our heads. How could you value a pig more than a human? But then we step back and look at our own nation today and it's not that much different, is it? It's not that much different. So we're in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Say amen if you're there. We're going to start. By the way, uh, Renee Sylvester gave me one of these little hot hands, hand warmers I've had in my pocket this morning. So if you've shaken my hand this morning, my hand's only like 55 degrees instead of 45 degrees. So Renee, thanks so much. These things are awesome. So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Here we go. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. Now, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and, and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly, not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd hurried down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So Jesus got into the boat. And he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you're pretty amazing. We thank you for making sure that this story of you touching one terribly tormented man and how you healed him, thank you for making sure we were able to read this for all time in your word. And I pray that you would speak to us and teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are several uh, amazing insights that we can glean from this passage, uh, but we'll miss some of them if we forget how Jesus and his disciples got here 
in the first place. So I want you to think back seven days. I know you've slept at least seven times since then, but think back to that passage we tackled last Sunday. Remember what happened in that prior passage. In verse 22, uh, Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they put out into a boat and set sail. Now at that time, Jesus was probably somewhere around Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, we learn here in verse 26 that he had the region of the Gerasenes in mind. Now that was a region on the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. So you can see on the map there roughly that a journey that they had to take from the northwest shore around Capernaum to the southeast shore there in the region of the Gerasenes. Now this was about a 12-mile journey diagonally across the Sea of Galilee, about 12 miles. So that's about from here to the in and out at Main Street and the I-15 freeway. So not that far. Remember the Sea of Galilee wasn't actually a sea. It was a lake. And it wasn't even a particularly large lake. It was a medium-sized lake, much smaller than, say, Lake Tahoe, significantly smaller than the Great Lakes uh, up in the northeast. And so it wasn't that large of a lake, so maybe about 12 miles, that diagonal journey across the lake. But remember what happened partway across in their journey. We saw last week that uh, the winds whipped up in the canyon walls north of the Sea of Galilee, and the wind rushed in, and, and there was this huge squall, this huge storm, and the waves were beating against the bow of their boat, and it was t- being tossed back and forth like a rag doll. The waves were crashing over the top, and they were trying to bail all the water out, but they couldn't bail fast enough. And so they were certain that that boat was going to be torn into splinters, and they were going to drown right there in the Sea of Galilee. And to make a bad situation even worse, Jesus was sleeping through all of it. He was in the back of the boat. I don't know if he had his head on a my pillow or what was going on, but Jesus was sleeping through it all. And so they stumble over to Jesus and they try to shake him. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And so Jesus calmly gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And not only did the wind stop blowing and the waves stop crashing, but literally within seconds the water was calm, which never happens immediately after a storm. And so their jaws drop and they ask that question at the end of that passage, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, the water is calm. Verse 25, after having this fear and amazement and asking, who is this? They persevere in their journey. They were so scared knowing that Jesus on their boat had power over the wind and the waves. Some probably considered jumping overboard. But they stuck in with Jesus on that boat and they finished their journey. They go to the other side, that rest of that 12-mile journey. And I want you to imagine they finally get to the Gerasene shore. Their life had flashed before their eyes uh, just a few minutes earlier during that storm. They finally make it to the shore, and they drop anchor, and they jump off the boat onto dry land, and it's solid, and it's not shaken back and forth, and there's no storm. Those guys must have been on cloud nine, so excited. Finally, we're safe on dry land. And then what happens? They think they're safe on on dry land, and all of a sudden, this guy comes running out of the woods, 
It's bad enough that he's a raving lunatic and crazy and looks like he wants to strangle him. The dude has no clothes on. And so this naked dude comes running down the beach to meet Jesus. And those disciples went from being relieved that they're on dry land, safe and sound. They must have been thinking out of the frying pan and into the fire. They thought they had been delivered from danger, and now they just had a new danger right in front of them. I imagine the disciples wanted to ask Jesus, Why are we here? Why are we here? Things were so much nicer yesterday than they are today. Things were so much better on the opposite shore. Things were so much safer in Capernaum. People loved us in Capernaum. But this crazy dude looks like he's going to eat us for lunch. Jesus, things were so much better. We don't like this one bit. Why are we here? Why are we here? You know, I've asked that same question in recent months. As I've looked out on a Sunday morning and seen more empty chairs than we may have seen a year ago. I've looked at our statistic sheets and seen that our offerings may be lower than it's been a year ago and it's a little tougher to pay the bills these days. I found myself asking much that same question, God, why are we here? Why are we here? And just as they said things were so much better in Capernaum yesterday, I found myself saying, God, it was so much nicer, it was so much better, it was so much easier when we had more people in the room. And maybe we didn't have to worry so much about paying the bills. And so hindsight is so often 2020, and I've asked that question, God, why are we here? As the disciples stood with trembling knees on the garrison beach, they longed for the glory days back in Capernaum, and I at times have longed for the glory days. But what the disciples didn't know, as that crazy man ran toward them on that beach, and what I didn't know, as I nostalgically longed for the glory days and looked at those statistic sheets on that spreadsheet, what I didn't realize is that it was all leading up to Jesus Christ working out his great and awesome plan. And when his great and awesome plan would be revealed, that plan would knock some socks off. So often we forget that we are on this journey and there's going to be some low points. There are going to be some valleys. We ain't there yet. The disciples thought they had reached their destination. Little did they know their journey had only just begun. And Jesus was just warming up. Amen? I'm going to stop this sermon for now because we've got something important to do. Over these last three weeks, I have challenged you to lift up these three specific prayers. Number one, for a personal need. Number two, for a praise, something you're thankful to God for. And then thirdly, I ask you to be praying for our church every day, particularly to be praying for God's guidance as decisions need to be made in the weeks and months to come. Pray for our leaders and also pray for God's blessing that he would allow us to do greater ministry in the days to come than ever before. And so here on this final day of this 21 days of prayer, we're going to take about 10 to 15 minutes here in the midst of this service. And we're going to spend some time meeting with our Lord in prayer. You probably noticed on the way in, we've got four tables in the four corners of the room. 
And guess what? Three of those tables coincide with those three prayers we've been lifting up over the last 21 days. Table number one over here is for personal prayer. We've got three prayer journals, so three at a time can be at that table jotting down a personal prayer. Here's what I'd like you to do. When you get to that table, at any point during the next 15 minutes, I want you to write down at least one personal prayer. It doesn't have to be you know, something secretive, just you know, pray for my family's health maybe or pray for my marriage. You don't even have to put your name to it if you don't want. And while you're there, I'd like you to look on a journal and see another prayer that someone may have written down before you, and I want you to lift up that prayer as well. So I encourage you to spend a couple minutes at the personal prayer table. Table number two in the back right, that's that second prayer we've been lifting up all month, a prayer of praise and thanks. I want you to write down at least one thing that you thank God for. And then as you see something else that someone else may have written down before you, go ahead and lift up that praise and thanks as well. Maybe it's something you hadn't thought to thank God for recently. Back left, that's the third prayer. Praying for our church, I want you to write down at least one prayer for our church. Maybe you say, you know, I I pray for Dane. He's got issues. He needs a lot of prayer. And I say amen to that. Maybe you want to pray for our elders, for Gary, for Roy. Maybe you want to pray for our children's director, Christy. Uh, She and Javier are at camp today with 12 of our teenagers, and they'll be back in a few hours. We want to pray that as they right now are in their final session of the weekend, that God would touch their hearts and draw them closer to Christ. We've got one of our girls that was able to go up this weekend. Her parents have only been attending our church for three weeks. And when there was a spot that became available for her last weekend, and we let her know that we were going to offer her that spot for camp, her mom began to cry because it touched her so closely. God is going to move at that camp, we believe. Maybe you need to pray for that for our church. Whatever it may be, I encourage you to write one down and then lift up while you're at that table for a couple minutes one of the other prayers our church that someone else wrote down before you and over on my right here as always on a sunday morning we take communion and so at any point in those 15 minutes you come and take of the bread and the juice if you are a believer and follower of jesus christ the praise team is going to be up here leading in a few songs so you can stay and just worship from where you're sitting or standing until you feel ready to go to those tables but over these next 15 minutes i encourage you to spend some time in worship Spend some time in prayer. If you want to do that on your own, that's okay. If you want to bring one person with you, that's fine. If you want to do it as a family and go from table to table as a family, that's okay too. If you need to kneel at these stairs up here and spend some time in personal prayer with the Lord, that's fine. But we want to end this 21 days of prayer with some serious prayer over these next few minutes. So praise team, come on up. I'll be off to the side if anyone needs me to pray with them. If you need to find out more about accepting Christ, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Let's spend this time in prayer and praise. And I'll be up in about 15 minutes to finish this message. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you 